Welcome to Season of the Bitch, the leftist podcast that deserves all the gold medals. (laughs) Today we have Laura, Bianca, Julia, and Kellen. And today, you guessed it, we are talking about the Olympics. Um, so basically, because I've been spending more than half of my time at my grandma's house, um, we have made the switch from three hours of Big Bang Theory every night. Oh, my God. <laughs> which is this. It's been terrible. Like, I, <laughs> the thing is, like, she doesn't understand any of the jokes, but somehow it is her favorite show. And oh. it is truly a nightmare. So <laughs> while we're going to be pretty much shitting on the Olympics, it has been more entertaining than the Big mm. Bang Theory. I mean, honestly, almost anything would be more entertaining than the Big Bang Theory. Exactly. But I'm really glad you have the Olympics <laughs> here for you in this trying time. Yes. And when it started, um, I was just like... We need to do an episode on this because I've basically been watching the Olympics the whole time and been thinking about the messed up nature of the Olympics as a whole. And while there is something undeniably cool about watching athletes hype each other up and get to interact on a global stage, there are a ton of issues that come with this. And we can't blame athletes for the like way the Olympics no. are. Of course not. And like, I don't think there's anything wrong with like enjoying watching it and stuff. And I think I tweeted this, but I was like, I only root for the USA against the Confederacy and in women's soccer. And that's just how I feel about things. It feels weird to be like, aggressively patriotic. You know what I mean? So I I try not to like, be like, go America and everything that I watch. But women's soccer you definitely gotta I mean you don't gotta I gotta yeah I gotta root for our extremely gay team yeah um my grandma and I were rooting for the Polish rock climber today because my grandma is from Poland so so she she will also root for Poland so that felt fun but um (laughs) I love that (laughs) anyway uh we wanted to start with some history of the Olympics So the Olympic Games have always upheld and in some cases increased the colonial policies and practices of some host nations and cities, either in the name of the Olympics by associated parties or directly by official Olympic bodies, such as one we're going to be talking about a lot called the International Olympic Committee or IOC. So according to writings by the founder of the modern Olympic Games, because as you may be aware, the what are known as the modern Olympic Games are based off of the ancient Olympic Games, um, which we will not be talking about pretty much at all. But just to be clear, there was a break from ancient times to what now became um, modern Olympics. I just want to say, if you think that women's soccer is gay, um, the ancient Olympic Games were significantly gayer. Yes. (laughs) We love to see it. We only stand the ancient (laughs) Olympics. (laughs) Um, anyway, so the, the person who's like named as the founder of the modern Olympics game, Pierre de Coubertin, uh, sport and colonialism were logical companions. Did you like that or what? Love your French. Those are really good French pronunciation. (laughs) Thank thank you so much. (laughs) Um, 
Yes. He called sports a, quote, vigorous instrument of disciplining of colonized people, unquote, and viewed it as a calming force in the colonies. This other person who I forgot to write out who it was, they're important related to the Olympics. We'll figure it out. Um, oh, <laughs> I mean, not that important. Not, not that important, clearly. <laughs> this person named O. Bonsawin writes that Olympiaism, Olympian, Olympism, excuse me, Olympism. I didn't know that was a word until I was doing this. But anyway, <laughs> writes that Olympism as a philosophy speaks, quote, in truisms of equity, anti-discrimination, mutual recognition, and respect, tolerance, and solidarity, unquote. But she and other critics argue that in reality, Olympism serves as an apologetic for a movement that is actually, quote, deeply politicized and xenophobic. Obonsuin also argues that in encouraging Olympic participants to, quote, cast aside everyday lived experiences shaped by such factors such as race, gender, sexuality, religion, culture, ideology, and class, Olympism itself erases the realities of marginalized peoples. In 1904, St. Louis held what was known as the, quote, tribal games. The yikes. Big yikes. Big yikes. Uh, the Anthropology Games or Anthropology Days were the creation of what was then Department of Anthropology at the St. Louis World's Fair, for which the Olympics was just an athletic sideshow. So there was debate within the athletic and anthropology anthropological community at the time as to whether people of color from colonized countries were natural athletes cool (laughs) cool and fun i just like have to pause because it's like what the fuck so they thought they'd do some experience experiments to see whether or not this racist anthropology was true they gathered together people from different ethnic backgrounds backgrounds and got them to perform olympic sports and then tested their times and performances against white collegiate american athletes it was a ridiculous endeavor in addition to it being racist and colonialist as fuck two days before the events took place they were still planning swimming events for a group of people who didn't know how to swim um, pygmies from Central Africa were asked to throw the 56-pound weight. They simply refused, saying it was too silly to even contemplate. Obviously, with most things, this began as something that was just available for men. In fact, De Coubertin is on record as saying that the Olympic Games should be reserved for men only and that the reward for their performance should be the polite applause of women. <laughs> I just I just can't. You have to laugh. You simply have to laugh. First of all, polite applause. Give me I will break. never politely applaud for a man in my entire life. <laughs> Not once. Not a single time. As late as 1924, there were fewer than 100 women at the games, confined primarily to swimming, diving, and tennis. Amsterdam in 1928 is a huge breakthrough where you have the first women's track and field field events but the aforementioned evil ioc demanded that there can be no long distance track and field events the 800 meters becomes infamous because the two women who come first and second are completely exhausted as they cross the line (laughs) this was deemed 
so unacceptable and dangerous to the health of, quote, global womanhood that the (laughs) IOC said that there couldn't be no women's events over 200 meters. So it's not until 1968 that this changes and not until 1984 that women run the marathon. I'm just like laughing, imagining women in like hoop skirts and like, I mean, this is totally anachronistic. It's not the right time period at all. But like women in hoop skirts with like big curls in their hair, like running and then collapsing on like a fainting couch being like, I do declare, (laughs) Um, which is like what I feel like the IOC was imagining. It's terrible. It's truly terrible. But like to just build off of what Laura said, like, I think it's very clear that the Olympics are always political, like Mm -hmm. contrary to what this French man was saying. um, And also, oh, Bonsoin, I don't know, you know, these, these dudes that we're, we're talking about. um, They, I I think are taught, they, these points are something that is repeated, are repeated sort of perpetually we still think about the olympics as a time which brings the globe together removes politics and that's just not a thing um the olympics are always political Mm -hmm. get into that in this episode with pretty much everything we cover um but i wanted to talk about some very obviously political examples of olympic events um and specific olympic games that were especially contentious um the first is um 1936 uh which was the berlin summer olympics um These were probably the most obviously political games in world history, but in some ways that's only because we're conditioned to see everything the Nazi regime did as political, which like isn't wrong, Um, but also everything our government does is political too. Um, But yeah, so Hitler came to power in 1933. Um, In 1931, two years before that, the International Olympic Committee, again, the IOC, um, had decided to award Berlin the 1936 games. And Hitler rightly saw this as like a great opportunity for him um he looked at the olympics as a chance to show off the accomplishments of the nazi state as well as to put aryan physical supremacy on display um and i think this is a great example of somebody who i mean understands the political potential and the political power of the olympics as a spectacle um the official policy of the state was not to allow Jewish people to participate as athletes, and this rule wasn't exactly enforced for other nations, but, but some of them did actually pre- prevent Jewish athletes from coming to the games out of, like, respect for Germany, which is just so, obviously so deeply gross. fucked up. So um Famously, Jesse Owens, who's a black man from the United States, was the winningest individual at that game. He had four gold medals, which obviously put something of a damper on like Hitler's white supremacy hour. Um, I just as a side note, this this whole um, event was made into a movie very cleverly called Race, um, which uh, also had Jason Sudeikis in it for some reason because they just like needed oh to have God. a white person. I mean, the whole thing was bonkers. Don't watch the movie. But um, <laughs> there's also the whole thing about how obviously Jesse Owens had to return to the segregated United States afterwards. So like. It's important that we should not get caught up in any kind of triumphalist narrative with America at its center when it comes to the 1936 games. Um, To that point, there were some calls to boycott the games because obviously Nazis, um, but they unsurprisingly mostly came from communists. No nations ultimately pulled out um, in protest, although some individual athletes actually did um, refuse to attend, especially Jewish athletes. 
the U.S. Olympic Committee specifically refused to boycott the Games with one high-ranking official going so far as to say, and this is going to be a theme, that sports were never political, but there was a Jewish communist conspiracy to make that them seem that way that was going on with the boycott debate. So, yeah. Um, anyway, obviously the Games served to legitimize Hitler's rule, to further entrench Nazism within German patriotism, and to elevate the Nazi regime as a player on the world stage. Just an unmitigated disaster. Really, really bad thing. Um, and uh, that other Games that I think is just like relevant to mention um, is 1980, because the 1980 Moscow Summer Games, because while America certainly would not boycott fascists, you bet America would boycott communists, um, which is why I wanted to talk about these games. The U.S. led the boycott against the 1980 games held in Moscow, which was in name, a reaction to the 1979 Soviet invasion of Afghanistan. Um, obviously, that was bad, not trying to be an apologist for the invasion of Afghanistan. But realistically, it was also just a Cold War power move on the part of the United States. Um, 66 other nations, primarily those allied with the U.S., withdrew from the games entirely. Um, some countries like Great Britain and Australia allowed athletes to compete under the Olympic flag, but not their national flag, which is sort of a semi-boycott. Um, and then the USSR responded by boycotting the 1984 games, which were held in L.A. And I think we'll talk more in detail about those games later. Um, but yeah, there's just like no getting around the fact that these events are inherently political, whether it's where they're held, who gets to attend, what events take place, who's allowed to compete, like it's all political. And the last games I wanted to mention were the 2002 Salt Lake City games, um, the Winter Games. Um, I bring them up only because they helped Mitt Romney achieve national prominence for organizing them. Um, which is another way in which the games can be politicized. And this came from mm -hmm. uh, this case for personal gain. Um, Mitt Romney's terrible. And a big part of the reason anybody knows who he is as anything other than the CEO of Bain Capital. <sighs> Sorry, I was gagging <laughs> saying those words. Um, is because of his role in the Salt Lake City, sort of quote unquote, saving the Salt Lake City Winter Games. Um, so yeah, there's a little rundown of some uh, contentious um, Olympic history. Yeah. We hate to see it, and we're going we to continue to talk about it. <laughs> uh, one of the ways that the Olympics is extremely fucked up is what it does to the city that ends up hosting the Olympics. So host cities end up having a lot of different issues, particularly surrounding displacing poor and other vulnerable communities. So in the lead up to the 1988 games in Seoul, 720,000 people were forcibly moved, um, according to the Geneva-based Center on Housing Rights and Evictions. And before the 2008 games in Beijing, that same center reported that 1.5 million Chinese were displaced and resistors were handed one-year re-education through labor sentences. So there is a long tradition of this. Even at games where there has been a, a smaller level of building, there has been a very determined effort to effectively socially cleanse the Olympic city of the houseless, addicts, and other societal outliers. 
Atlanta didn't build very much, but still managed to evict 25,000 houseless people and close most of the city's facilities for communities without homes. Um, So like shelters and things like that that help people who are um, without a place to live. In the context of Rio, there has been 100 years of struggle over land. For many generations, people have occupied the most difficult and inaccessible land to build their own communities, though almost invariably without infrastructure, sanitation, these these communities are struggling. Numbers vary, but between 35,000 to 70,000 people were displaced during the buildup to the Rio Games. It's not only the displacement, but the manner of the displacement. So the use of force and intimidation is widespread, and the deals people are offered are almost invariably well below any like reasonable rate to be moving out of their house. People are left with very little options, and as I noted before, some nations will put people they evict into work camps when they end up protest- protesting their displacement. Yeah, absolutely. And in the U.S. especially, but also in other countries, this often involves a heightened police presence in the areas where Olympic events are taking place. And then that, of course, leads to more people being sent to prison. Um, So it's similar to what we talked about in our gentrification episode, where wealthier people moving into an area often means an increase in this kind of like so-called quality of life policing, which ends up evicting unhoused people and arresting people for things like drug use that don't really hurt anyone. Um, In this case, it's cities often trying to kind of like, quote unquote, clean up before they're on the international stage. And rather than having any real solutions to problems they might be facing, like lack of healthcare and housing, they instead criminalize people who are worst impacted by those crises. Um, So something I learned about recently is that the 1984 Olympic Games in LA, which Kellen mentioned earlier, are considered to be kind of the start of this pattern and the specific way that we see private corporations working with cities to kind of funnel money into specific things that politicians might want to do in their city while increasing policing and neglect of lower income communities, often communities of color. So prior to 1984, hosting the Olympics wasn't really seen as quite the like honor and super fancy thing that it is today. Um, In 1980, Moscow was actually the only city to offer to host the Olympics. So they had to extend the application deadline. And then LA only submitted a bid after that because of Cold War anxiety, um, which again, Kellen talked about earlier. But basically, the US was like, well, we don't want the USSR to host this. So let's quickly apply to this. Um, But then the committee ended up awarding the games to Moscow that year um, and the U.S. boycotted those games. So then in the 1980 Winter Olympics, again, only one city volunteered to host them and it was Lake Placid, New York. And then same thing in 1984, L.A. was the only place to offer to host. So they got it. And that's how the Olympics ended up being there. Um, The 1984 LA Olympics are considered to be the most financially successful modern Olympics. They used existing sports infrastructure and then also through securing private sponsorships and the games made over $250 million, which is the equivalent of more than $650 million today. So I just thought this was kind of funny to see what corporations were involved in this. So they included AT&T, Anheuser-Busch, Coca-Cola, also the Mars Candy Company. There's this whole 
controversy over like people were like they're sponsoring m&ms and like m&ms <laughs> aren't healthy how can this be part of the olympics um which is just kind of silly but then they also secured the city of la secured a multi-billion dollar contract for broadcasting the olympics with abc so this is kind of the same thing we see today with nbc having the exclusive rights to air broadcasts from the olympics um the at the next Olympic Games in 1988, NBC got the exclusive contract to broadcast those games and they still hold it to this day. So it was also kind of the start of this pattern. And I feel like this is a relatively small component of all of this, but it is weird that this is supposed to be this like inclusive international event that like everyone gets to be a part of and it's bringing us all together, but only one media company is allowed to like fully report on it and broadcast it yeah exactly um yeah so anyway these games were absolutely horrific for the average person living in los angeles and they've honestly had impacts that continue to this day um the lapd received olympic funding from the federal government for like added security at the event and they used that mostly to buy a ton of military equipment like machine guns and also a literal tank, which they still have. Um, and then they also recruited a bunch of new police officers who they didn't even have time to fully train. They did like a rush training. Although I think it's honestly hard to say if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Cause like, <laughs> I don't know. It's like the tra training is also terrible, but just to say that they really did not have full time to do this. And they were just like rushing through to get as much increased policing as they could. Um, and this was, kind of a huge moment in LA's war on drugs. It contributed to the arrest of thousands of people on small drug charges. And also sometimes without any cause at all, like when people have gone back and looked at what actually happened during this time, a lot of the arrests there literally was no reason for. Um, so this whole thing also showed that it was possible for a city to make a huge profit off of the games and kind of spin their role as a host into increased law enforcement budgets and whatever the city wanted to accomplish. So after the 1984 games, as compared to the prior decade where there was usually only one city actually finalizing a bid to host the Olympics, there was a record seven cities that applied to host the 1992 Olympic games. So it really changed people's perspective or, you know, politicians and city government's perspective on what the value of the Olympic Games could be for them. And this pattern has continued up until today with Tokyo installing new facial recognition technology for increased security at this year's games. Uh, they also have these terrifying police robots that are basically like self-guided security cameras that can like drive around and report people for doing things to a human. And there have also been lots of other negative impacts, like unfair treatment of the workers who were hired to build Olympic infrastructure, many of whom are immigrants and don't have as many legal protections. Um, one of the workers who was building the media center for the Olympics died of heat stroke. Um, and there has also been, as we talked about before, a lot of displacement of houseless folks living near Olympic sites. So overall, a lot of, a lot of terrible things um, that have really just continued and ramped up since then yeah for sure one of the so when I we're gonna start talking about the Tokyo games this this is not new with the Tokyo games but when I was watching the opening ceremonies 
one of the things that you notice first is when uh, Russia's team comes out, they are not like Russia's team. They're called the ROC. The Russian flag is not shown. The Russian anthem is not played. It's called the Russian Olympic Committee because uh, there was a doping scandal. Uh, I don't remember exactly when it was, but I think like everyone on the team was like was doing Adderall basically. Um and that is why it is banned from the Olympics. And that is actually we're going to get to in a little bit because one of the people, one of the Olympians who uses Adderall medicinally was not able to during the games. And it may have contributed to, to what ended up happening to her. But we'll get to that in a little bit. Anyway, also, there was a U.S. swimmer who won silver and he and, a, and an ROC athlete won gold. And he literally was like, I still think that there might be doping in swimming. And so the, the, the drama continues. Unclear uh, whether or not there is actual doping happening, but like you kind of got to be a little bit of a dick to just be like, I won silver and like, I'm going to say this shit. Right, especially if you did so well. It's like, so how did you beat them if they're doping? Are you doping? <laughs> right. Well, yes. Right. I think he was insinuating, like, because he won silver instead of gold and the ROC person won gold, that, right. like, the okay. only way that could have happened is if it... <laughs> Who knows? Who fucking knows? Anyway, so if you weren't aware... Uh, these Olympics were actually supposed to be held last year on all of their stuff. It says Tokyo 2020. Um, but that was all pushed back due to COVID. And even though this was postponed, there still, of course, have been issues related to COVID and the Delta variant at these 2021 games. Outside the main arena during the opening ceremonies, I saw protesters with posters chanting about how the games should be canceled. On last Wednesday, July 28th, government officials in Tokyo reported the highest ever number of daily cases, 3,865, in the capital since the pandemic began last year. Yeah, it's also notable that the majority of Japanese residents have expressed doubt that the Olympics should have taken place at all. There was an article that was published on July 19th, which was four days before the opening ceremony in Asahi Shimbun, which is one of the most widely read newspapers in Japan. And that article reported the results of a phone survey they conducted among around 1,400 Japanese citizens. And that survey found that 68% of respondents were doubtful that the Olympics would be safe and secure, despite the prime minister repeatedly stating that they would be. And then 58% of residents in Tokyo expo- uh, opposed holding the games at all. There was also low enthusiasm among Japanese residents for watching the games. Um, When respondents were asked about whether they wanted to watch the sporting events on TV or through other media, 56% said they wanted to watch, but 41% said they don't want to watch them so much. So there's just like been low enthusiasm, a lot of apprehension about the games in like the general public's attitude. Um, Laura touched on this already, but there's also been widespread COVID outbreaks at the games as of August 4th. Like, for clarification, we're recording this on August 3rd, but it's the 4th in Tokyo, and this has been reported already. Uh, On August 4th alone, 29 people, including four athletes, tested positive for COVID-19, bringing the total games-linked number of positive cases since July 1st to 322 So that's 322 people, 
athletes, people involved in the games who have tested positive uh, since July 1st. And this doesn't count the number of Tokyo residents, Japanese residents who are not participating in the games because case numbers have been going up there as well. Um, it's also just been interesting to see how the media in general has been reporting on the games. Can I just say really quickly, like part of, you know, you might think that it that the Olympics are like maybe held in one area of the city, but in in a lot of cases, there are sites all over the city. And that's definitely the case for Tokyo. They're like athletes are like carted across the city, too. So it's not like this can be confined in any meaningful way that right. protects Japanese like, citizens. Not at all. And I think I've read that like the athletes themselves, like their housing conditions don't always probably more often than not don't allow for safe social distancing measures. And so but they like, won't it's, have sex because they have cardboard beds. They have cardboard beds. Right. <laughs> With like, I don't know. They're like very narrow or something. But like, there's one thing that I feel like Olympic athletes won't be able to do. It's figure out how to have sex not lying down. (laughs) Surely these people, full command of their bodies, won't be able to solve this problem. um, Of I think it might have been like the U.S. women's rowing team testing out the beds, and they're like jumping on them and stuff, and they do not break. Like (laughs) they're complete. <laughs> fine for sex, I would say. They're very sturdy. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. So this is just gonna be my time to talk about this one article that I read in the New York Times. Yes. About China's Olympic athletes. I first saw this article through a tweet that uh is like when I read it, I thought it was like really unbelievable. I'm just gonna read the tweet. Um, it's from the New York Times account, tweeted July 29th. It's like a blurb to the article. It says China's sports assembly line is designed for one purpose, churning out Olympic gold medals. The state scouts tens of thousands of children for government run training, funneling many into less prominent sports that Beijing hopes to dominate. Oh my God. End quote. So like, okay, like, can we pack more dehumanizing language into one tweet? Assembly line for like, like what? churning out gold medals like it's just like the worst like i don't know who wrote this tweet but it's terrible so then i was like all right i'm gonna read the article itself maybe it contains a little more nuance no um so like (laughs) narrator voice it did not it did not (laughs) um it's it just gets more and more shocking as you go on so like there it's chock full of like red scare cold war type language there's a quote from the article Quote, rooted in the Soviet model, the Chinese system relies on the state to scout tens of thousands of children for full-time training at more than 2,000 government-run sports schools. To maximize its golden harvest, Beijing has focused on less prominent sports that are underfunded in the West or sports that offer multiple Olympic gold medals. Uh, Another quote, for Beijing's sports czars... (laughs) You know, normal. What? It did. Sports czars. Haven't you heard of real thing? Can you imagine any 
U.S. Olympic trainer being described as a sports czar. Oh okay, it's not the quote says it didn't matter that weightlifting has no mass appeal in China or that the preteen girls funneled into the system had no idea that such a sport even existed. At the weightlifting national team training center in Beijing, a giant Chinese flag covers an entire wall, reminding lifters that their duty is to nation, not to self. As and it's if of- the U.S. flag is not fucking everywhere. Right, right. It's like they're trying to draw attention to this thing. Like, oh, they have a giant flag at their training center. That's like, look at their like state, the like level of control the state has. As if like state-based patriotism is not like a hallmark of the U.S. Literally. itself. We famously make children pledge their allegiance to our flag on a daily basis in our state-sponsored schools. (laughs) Right. Let's be honest here. Right, right. And then, okay, there's just, like, also some paragraphs that are, like, completely nonsensical. Like, it just, like, I read this paragraph over and over because I was like, what does it mean? So it says, quote, Beijing's focus has been on sports that can be perfected with rote routines rather than those that involve an unpredictable interplay of multiple athletes. Aside from women's volleyball, China has never won Olympic gold in a large team sport. I don't understand. Oh, like, what is what is the difference? What is a rote routine? Like, what sport doesn't involve an unpredictable interplay of multiple athletes? That literally is sports. Right. The unpredictable interplay of multiple athletes. <laughs> like, I just was like, what is going on in this? I felt like I was like truly losing my mind as I was reading this article. Um, I guess it's like a smaller quip in among like the broader problems with this article, which is like the blatant sign of folk xenophobia racism that's in it i also think like some version of this article has been run every single year like i see this thing that's like oh like look at china's extremely unethical athlete recruitment processes like some story like this runs every year and it's been i've seen something like it basically since beijing hosted the olympics in 2008 and this particular article like given its timing seems to have been published this is like my hunch, obviously, to like detract from the ways that American athletes have also been subject to inhumane and and unethical conditions. And like, basically, it's a distraction from the idea that if you're going to be an Olympic athlete, no matter what country you come from, the preparation and training process is almost always going to be grueling, ascetic, requires a ton of discipline on the part of the athletes. And like, I think the part that I really wanted to highlight through reading this article is that the power imbalance between the athletes and their trainers and between the athletes and the Olympic institution as a whole and the lack of agency that many athletes have, like these kinds of things exist in every country and it speaks more to the ethics of the Olympics in general than to the practices of any individual country. And like, we're going to discuss this more in a bit, but like the toll that this lack of agency takes on athletes wellness is really, really significant. Yeah, like, I just, we'll get into this, but, like, you can't come out of, like, the Larry Nasser scandal and, like, where the, literally the entire U.S. gymnastics team is preyed on by a team doctor and the U.S. gymnastics body just turns a blind eye right, and then be right. like, wow, look at China subsuming people's personhood to the team and the nation and not letting them be individuals. Like, it's just such obvious propaganda that it would be laughable if people didn't take it seriously and if we weren't already in a period of heightened xenophobia sy- and like just generally raised anti-East Asian sentiment. And mm. like when you consider it in that context, it's not just like deeply fucked to publish something like this. It's just, it's hugely irresponsible. It's terrible. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it's extremely fucked up. And for sure, like other countries appreciate their athletes and like governments pay their athletes when they become Olympic level athletes because they're representing the country. The United States does not do this. And so you might see on all the ads when like the Olympics are on, you'll see all the athletes getting sponsorships because that's how they make money because the United So it's just, again, the United States hiding behind its own bullshit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To, to your point, Bianca, about how like an article like this runs every year that's like essentially just China is evil in the way that it does sports. I feel like it's interesting that the Olympics is supposed to be or like said to be this like international coming together, but it's like it just ends up being an like heightened opportunity for propaganda to just right. be like, we are so much better than every other country. We don't do anything bad. Right. Like, yeah, I don't know. It's whack. Yeah. It's super gross. So mental health took the main stage at this year's Olympics. Please kill me. I've literally been watching like cable TV. So I feel like I have worms in my brain. <laughs> Uh, but so you may have heard there is a, uh, Olympic gymnast named Simone Biles from the United States. Um, she's, I think 24 years old. Um, and she basically has proven to be the greatest of all time. Literally, there are many, um, gymnast moves and, uh, various, sequences that are named after her at this point because uh, she was the first to do them and no one else is is able to do them. Um, And basically, going into the Olympic Games, she was the face of everything. She was the face that NBC put forward. Um, And also, everyone just expected her to clean house because literally, like, her Mm -hmm. ability is significantly better than others just because she is able to do a lot of stuff that other gymnasts aren't able to do. So on the first day of uh, the gymnast gymnastics competition, it was the team event. Um, and after she – so Vault was first, uh, the first event, and she did not complete her entire – um, sequence and uh, ended up withdrawing um, from that and then continued to sit out um, until one event, uh, the balance beam competition, which she did uh, medal in bronze. But she bowed out of most of her competitions um, and she definitely cited mental health as part of it. And she also said that part of it was the she thinks is related to her inability to take uh, her ADD or ADHD medicine um, at the time of competition as well. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so amusing to me that people and like by people, I mean, especially like right wing pundits are talking about it as like a mental health breakdown or whatever, like that. She's just like not mentally strong enough and like she should just power through and like ignore anxiety or whatever. As if it's like, okay, when your mind isn't 100% clear and focused and you're doing the shit that Simone Biles is doing, you break your neck. Yeah. Like, I was reading stuff from um, gymnasts who were like, 
so there's this thing um, called, oh, I'm, I might get it wrong. Twisties. I was going to say it's, yes, exactly. Where you get lost in the air and you can't tell which way is up and which way is down. And that's terrifying and obviously incredibly dangerous because mm-hmm. you, you don't know where to land. And it seemed like Simone Biles got that in the air and then landed like she, like Laura said, she didn't complete her routine the way that it was laid out, but still was able to land on her feet and not hurt herself. And she withdrew after that, but did like a turn and a half less than she was supposed to. And the fact that you can get lost in the air, do a different trick basically than you were planning to do and still land on your feet is evidence in and of itself of incredible athletic ability. Mm-hmm. And the fact that she decided to withdraw, like, and cited mental health stuff, that's not just like, you know, hashtag self care. Like, that's literal self-preservation she's keeping herself alive and healthy by doing this like it really cannot be overstated how dangerous gymnastics can be and how important it is that when athletes aren't feeling up to doing the work that they're you know that they came to Tokyo or wherever to do that they withdraw to protect themselves right I mean I think like when I was looking at people's responses to Simone Biles withdrawal like the people who were upset with her were the people who I basically expected to be upset with her and like it just revealed that they only saw her as a vessel for like gold medals and like this Mm, like emblem of like U.S. patriotism and not like a human being with like rights or agency I also think this is a clear example of the misogynoir and misogyny that is rampant in the American public and in the IOC's treatment of black women athletes Um, I mean, just like based on also just like things I've read that people have posted on Facebook, like my like Facebook friends from like my hometown and stuff. I think there was like this very sinister and twisted idea where like they supported Simone Biles in this way where they were like, oh, like I like am supporting a black woman. And like that support, though, was conditioned upon her winning all of these medals. And so when they saw that she withdrew, they were like immediately also withdrew their support Whereas like true support for women, black women in sports would like take the form of allowing them to take time to rest, allowing them to have agency over themselves. And just like, also like we were discussing earlier, being willing to financially provide for them even after their Olympic career ends so that they can do things like start a family, pursue other career options. So that's not contingent upon them securing sponsorships or like I, like less pre- or more precarious ways of like securing funding. I also don't think it's fair to say though that the athletes have like no agency during the, the Olympics because I also wanted to like point out that we've seen some athletes speak out on social media in, in interviews they've given against the conditions of the sporting world. For example, for example, runner Allison Felix, who I think is this is like her fifth Olympics now or something, has also spoken out against the way money is handled at the Olympics. She gave a recent interview where she said, quote, the athletes do not have a seat at the table when decisions are being made. Now I get where we fall in the grand scheme of this ginormous thing that makes a ton of money. The athletes don't see that money. It's a big machine. So like there are athletes who have been like increasingly willing to speak out against like the corruption, the moral failures of the Olympics. And so I think it's good and important to magnify those voices and listen to them. Hell yeah. It was really cool um, because a lot of the announcers were former competitors in that sport. It was really cool, 
especially hearing the woman announcer just immediately be like, she's doing what she needs to do for herself. So I do like the athlete to athlete solidarity of it. That feels like the best thing to come out of it. But uh, yeah, as like general American public being like, fuck you, like not surprised. Simone Biles tweeted that when she came back to the Olympic Village, she was really worried that people were going to be super critical of her and that actually a bunch of gymnasts were coming up to her and saying like, thank you for taking a stand and like doing what's right for you, that it like makes it easier for the rest of us to do the same in the same circumstance. Yeah. So it is like Laura, absolutely. Like, it seems like there's a lot of solidarity from other gymnasts. I'm sure some of them were like, oh, sick. Simone Biles is out of the competition. But um, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, but still, it, it seems both. like it can be. It both. seems like she's getting a lot of like positive feedback from other athletes. Which yeah. Is oh, yeah. Athlete. Yeah. I mean, as as someone with severe anxiety, I like felt I you could see it on her face before she went to compete. It was I was like, I've fucking been there, man. Um, So kind of the last thing that we wanted to talk about is, uh, you know, as we do is some gender fuckery. Uh, and particularly things as they relate to testosterone level. So basically, we have several examples of how this plays out, but uh, several athletes lost their chance of competing because of heavy, air quotes, high level of testosterone. I mean, like, yes, what I mean by air quotes is like, this isn't, this shouldn't fucking matter anyway. That's what I'm trying It's also to say. like a totally, and we'll get to this, but it's such, it's a totally arbitrary standard. Exactly. Like these are mm-hmm. numbers that are invented out of whole cloth for the purposes of, of social engineering. Yeah. Yes. So again, we see this myth that higher levels of testosterone give people an unfair advantage athletically. And several, notably all black women, were not allowed to compete due to their natural testosterone levels. In the Tokyo Games, um, the one that was very notable and talked about a lot was Castor Semenya. Um, But along with Castor Semenya, other runners who said they've been affected by the rules are all African, um, from Kenya, Burundi, Niger, and Namibia. And this includes all three women who won medals in the 800-meter race at the 2016 Rio de Janeiro Olympics. Semenya, Francine Niosaba of Burundi, and Margaret Wambui of Kenya. Yeah, and Christine Mboma and Beatrice Masalingi, who are both from Namibia, were also disqualified because of their T levels. And when this happens, they typically will tell you that if you take testosterone suppressing medication for a year, uh, which is basically like HRT or birth control, um, then you can compete again. But understandably, a lot of people don't want to do that. And Masalingi explained her reasoning for this quote, this is the way my body functions in its normal way. And if I try something else, something might go wrong with my body, unquote, which I think makes a lot of sense, especially for an an elite athlete. Yeah, for sure. Amira Rose Davis, who's an assistant professor of history and African-American studies at Pennsylvania State University and also co-host of the podcast Burn It All Down, said, quote, Sports must maintain this really, really violent binary at all costs, no matter who it hurts. And right now, that burden, that pain, that harm is most keenly felt by women of the global south. It's just been heart-wrenching to follow. These eligibility rules amount to the policing of black women's bodies, which is a remnant of patriarchal colonial power. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I also, as a personal note, I just yes. want to interject that I to say that I am super excited because I'm going to be working with Amira Davis soon when I move to Penn State later this month to start my postdoc. Um, <laughs> I'm I'm going to be in um, jointly in like the history department where she is and also the Richard Center, uh, which is like Civil War era studies. Um, and Amira Davis and I follow each other on Twitter, but I'm like really yes. looking forward to meeting her in real life. This is like one of the things that I'm very excited about in my upcoming move to Pennsylvania. Um, but yeah, like we've we have talked about this before what counts as like an unfair advantage is not based on science or it's based on science, but it's based on a socially constructed science. It's, it's a reflection of cultural norms. I will once again, bring up Michael Phelps's weird as fuck body. Okay. (laughs) Like my Michael Phelps was basically genetically engineered to swim. His arms are so long. He has like a, unreal lung capacity he basically has like webbed toes that's not true but like he his feet are flippers like michael phelps's whole body was just made to be a swimmer and nobody's like michael phelps your lungs are too big michael phelps why are your arms so long why do they basically touch your toes without you bending over like no one's measuring michael phelps's arms before he gets in the pool and disqualifying him because it's not fair to the other athletes because all of those things are accepted masculine qualities but because we have to police the bounds of femininity testosterone levels are considered fair game in this kind of testing and it's like it's all i mean it's obviously deeply related to the panic about um people who in any way defy gender binaries it's obviously related to the like turf panic like all of these things are interconnected um and i time and time again will just bring michael phelps up as a counterpoint because michael phelps should not be allowed to swim if caster semenya is not allowed to run yeah um i love to talk about michael phelps's weird body also (laughs) (laughs) Um, he does not have webbed feet but he does have really short legs which do help with swimming also so it's like super long arms super short legs giant lungs um and to be clear like i love this for him but it's just so frustrating when white men have genetic advantages that's like fine And when other athletes, mostly Black women, have genetic advantages, Mm -hmm. it's suddenly, quote unquote, unfair. Um, Also, like, even the testosterone thing, male athletes are not tested for their testosterone levels. And I was looking at this study that's like, one in six elite male athletes have lower than like the typical male testosterone level. So it's like, if testosterone just magically made you good at sports then shouldn't the male athletes also have really high testosterone it just like doesn't make any sense um but i mean we've talked about this on previous episodes but all high level athletes just have so many advantages both financial often as well as biological it just seems very difficult to tease out like which ones officials are going to classify as unfair or not and like helen said it's really just a reflection of cultural fears about gender in this case um and also race like Mm -hmm. i don't know people don't suggest that basketball players should have to have height reducing surgery (laughs) because of their natural advantages and that would obviously be terrible so why should people have to take testosterone suppressing medication Um, i'm just imagining like michael jordan having to like crawl around on his knees like bouncing a basketball (laughs) shaquille o'neal you are simply too tall for this game (laughs) 
Um, yeah, it's just, it is funny to like think about what the equivalent would be for other athletic advantages um, because it's clearly just very silly. But on a related note, the policing of black women's bodies in the Olympics also goes beyond testosterone levels specifically. Um, one example that people probably heard about, Shakari Richardson was suspended after testing positive for marijuana. And Blessing Okabare, a Nigerian sprinter, was also suspended after testing with too high levels of HGH, which is human growth hormone, um, which like testosterone is something that naturally occurs in the body. And like testosterone, it's by its nature very difficult to say if someone is like doping or if they just naturally have high levels of it. Um, and then also Francine Nyansaba, who we mentioned earlier, was disqualified from her main event, the 800 meter race for her T levels, then was allowed to compete in the 5,000 meter race. But then she was disqualified from that after the race happened for stepping across lane markings, um, which is like something that happens sometimes and you get disqualified for it. But it's just very frustrating that she already was not allowed to run in the event that she was most confident at. Um, and then in addition to that, 20 athletes and 14 of them were from African countries were suspended, not for testing positive for any banned substances, but just because their national athletic division didn't fulfill the exact parameters of the Olympic rules for random drug testing. So essentially through no fault of their own and not having tested positive for anything, they're just disqualified because of that. Um, so, so there's, stupid. yeah, just like so many ways that you know, surprise, surprise, mostly black women are being prevented from competing even after they've qualified. Yeah, it's, it's pretty dark. You know, when when the United States screams that it's something for world peace, that should be the first, that's the first uh, red flag. First red flag. Yeah, Yeah. we know (laughs) that it can't possibly be. Um, So in conclusion, Fuck all that shit. In our version of the Olympics, any athlete who just competes whatever, we don't test them for shit. They just compete for whatever nation they want to. And maybe we just get rid of nations altogether. Maybe I was going to say, favorite like, color or it something. doesn't matter. Yeah. And <laughs> gender. And we get you're rid on of the gender. green team. Yes. yes. You're on, your favorite color is turquoise. Well, you get to be with these people over here. Yes. But, you know, if you want to support our future uh, as creating the next Olympics, you can do that um, at <laughs> patreon.com slash season of the fish. For legal reasons, we have to say we will not use the money to start a new Olympics. Of course. Of course. <laughs> um, However. <yeah>. Of course. <laughs> um, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at season of the bee. You can rate, review, subscribe on iTunes and, uh, you know, Spotify as well. Hell yeah. Love you. Love you. Love you. Bye. 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 Season of the Bitch.